the last night. Uh, <clears throat> Analia won't be in the hall tomorrow morning, and so he thought to say just a few words now before the talk. Time to say bye bye. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah, I wanted to thank you all. I I've been teaching meditation since nineteen ninety five and this has been the most beautiful retreat in my whole experience so far. <laughs> you are such a lovely crowd. <laughs> <laughs> And the stuff was so wonderful. Temple, Sally. But the special gem? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, it's just such a, such a beautiful experience to be doing this with Joseph together. To see his skill, his expertise, his humor, and his humility. I mean, some of the stories he tells, I would think like, I wouldn't tell that to anybody. <laughs> What's going to happen to my image as a meditation teacher? You know, he's just, yeah, and I did this, and that happened. <laughs> so touching. Uh, I learned a lot from you. I really learned a lot. And, um, yeah, I have another poem for you. Oh, oh. It's, uh, it's about the practice, about this... I believe very much in this natural way of practice. We are not trying to create special experiences. Experiences will come, but we are not trying to make them. We just call this natural way. So this is a poem. Is, uh, <coughs> Sunshine. <coughs> Sun shines, rain falls, trees grow, Flowers blossom. <laughs> Thank you, Inalio. <laughs> it has been really a remarkable retreat. You know, in, in all the years of teaching, this definitely had a very special flavor to it. Uh, it's been great. <laughs> uh, so tonight, uh, just be giving a talk. We won't do questions tonight, but there'll be a time uh, tomorrow morning, just for some uh, discussion, uh, if you still have any remaining questions left. So last night I spoke of one teaching that has very far-ranging implications for our lives. Namely, that ever, whatever one thinks about, frequently thinks about and ponders upon, becomes the inclination of our minds. I think that's worth really taking in because it has such huge significance. 
Now, although the reflection on the surface seems so obvious, kind of in the busyness of our lives and the forward momentum, you know, of all our activities, it's easy to forget that moment after moment we're conditioning our minds. So it's not I'd like to speak about one aspect of right thought, a conditioning in the mind that really is worth pondering upon and developing and cultivating. <coughs> and that is the cultivation of metta, of goodwill, of benevolence, you know, of loving kindness. And recognizing that this is a quality that we cultivate not only to extend to other people, but also for ourselves. We really have to um, imbue this quality within ourselves, for ourselves as well. And this attitude is uh, very well summed up in a line from an old anonymous samurai poem. I make my mind my friend. And somehow, <coughs> to me, that line in some way is an expression of the entire spiritual path. I make my mind my friend. And the Buddha talked of this also. <coughs> he said, neither mother nor father nor any other relative can do one as much good as one's own well-directed mind. So the journey is clear, the task is clear. Sometimes we meet people in our lives <coughs> who really have made their minds their friends. You know, and uh, these meetings can be very remarkable. <coughs> who radiate that feeling of goodwill, you know, and loving care just to everyone they meet. And they might be well-known people, you know, like the Dalai Lama, or Mother Teresa, or Nelson Mandela, or Martin Luther King Jr., people who are well-known <coughs> and who have this great capacity for loving care. Maybe different teachers that we've had, you know, who really, <coughs> really manifest this kind of metta. Well, they may just be ordinary people in our lives, you know, who somehow, you know, have this quality of caring, of benevolence, of goodwill. It's really interesting to uh, have the chance to speak to someone like uh, the Dalai Lama. When you speak to him, and he speaks to you, you feel like the most important person in the world at that, at that moment. And it's because his attention <coughs> is so undivided, his attention is so complete. He said, I try to treat everyone I meet as an old friend. <laughs> what, a, what a fantastic way to be in the world. I try to treat everyone I meet as an old friend. You know, one of our teachers, <coughs> Deepama, I'm sure most of you know of her, this amazing woman from, uh, lived in Calcutta originally, she was uh, from Burma. 
very hard life, you know, as you know. Um, she was married, she had three kids, two of her kids died, her husband died. She was, she said she almost died from grief. <coughs> and then somehow she found her way to meditation center in <coughs> Yangon. And she had such unbelievable paramis with, within a very short time, she had reached high stages of realization, you know, all the levels of concentration, all the powers that you read about, I and mean, the stories are quite amazing. And for those of you <coughs> who haven't read the book, uh, there's a very interesting book of her life. Uh, it's called Deepama. Uh, it would be, would be interesting to read. And basically, she just manifested peace and love. And so when you were with her, you were just in this, you were in this field you know, of loving kindness. So one teacher described being hugged by Deepama, and quote, so thoroughly that all my six feet fit into her great, vast, empty heart <coughs> with room for the whole of creation. You know, and it was like that. You go up to her room, very lived very kind of poor circumstances in Calcutta. You went into her room and it was just filled with light and just left really, really quite floating from the, the force field of her metta. With all of these people, their goodwill, their loving kindness is not because of who we are. And it's not because of our position or wealth or intelligence or status. It's simply because we're fellow human beings. And this is, this is what they radiate. This very special quality, this very special feeling, is the feeling of metta. It's that generosity and openness of the heart that simply wishes well for all beings. I mean, in this regard, it's so simple. You know, it's the simple wish for all beings to be happy, to be at peace. Although <coughs> we derive great benefit ourselves from this feeling, metta, the expression of metta, is not seeking self-benefit. It's not offered with expectation of getting something back. <coughs> and even when we direct metta towards ourselves, it's really simply the gateway to an open heart. There's a poem by David Ladinsky, who has translated some poems by Hafez, uh, the great Persian mystic. And this, this is a poem by him inspired by Hafez. And it really, in a way, expresses this radiance of metta. The title of the poem is The Sun Never Says. Even after all this time, the sun never says to the earth, you owe me. Look what happens with a love like that. It lights the whole sky. So metta is like that. It's like just the sun shining, not expecting anything in return. Because 
this feeling of goodwill, of benevolence, is offered without expectation, it's not dependent on external conditions. On, it's not dependent on people behaving a certain way. If you like this, then I'll love you. Metta is just offered like the sun. And because it's not dependent on conditions, and it's not dependent on people being a certain way, it doesn't easily turn into ill will or jealousy as love filled with desire so often does. What gives metta <coughs> its great expansive power is that in the end, when it's well-developed and well-cultivated, it doesn't make any distinction between beings. It's not a feeling that's limited to the people closest to us. Now, we might feel close to one person, to five people, to 20 people. Maybe we feel close to 50 people. We certainly don't feel close to seven billion people. Right? We don't feel close to everyone on this planet. Metta, though, has the power, whether expressed in words or just as the radiation of a feeling, Metta <coughs> has this amazing ability to embrace all without distinction because it is the simple wish May you live happily, may you live at peace. We can, we can include all beings in that wish. And it's for this reason that metta is called one of the boundless states. It's a boundless state of heart and mind, one of the immeasurables, because it can embrace all. I had a transforming experience of the expansive power of metta when I was first doing the practice in India. And then we were doing it in uh, the way it's often taught, where you go from a benefactor to a friend, to a neutral person, to a difficult person, and then <coughs> to all beings. So I'd been going through that pattern. And I came to the point in practice where I was supposed to send metta to a neutral person. And at first I was practicing with Munindraji, my first teacher. He said, neutral person, and I almost didn't know what he meant. So he said, well, just pick someone you don't, you know, have particular feelings about one way or another. And at that time I was living in the Burmese Vihara in Bodh Gaya. And there was this old Indian gardener who I saw every single day. And I realized I had no feelings about him whatsoever. He could have been a tree. And when I realized that, it was, it was a bit shocking. You know, that here was a person that was in my environment that I just was not connecting with in any way at all. So I started doing the metta for him. All day long, every day. You know, may you be happy, may you be free of danger he became my love object. You know, and every time I saw him, like I lit up. <laughs> and there was a huge realization in this 
in that how we feel about people is up to us. It had nothing to do with him. He, he didn't change at all. He, was, and he probably didn't even know that he was my love object. <laughs> you know, he was just going about his business. But the internal feeling was so radically different for me, you know, when I just started giving him loving attention, you know, within myself. And to see that how we feel is not dependent on what the other person does or how they are or their behavior, it's totally up to us. And so this is tremendously empowering. The Buddha gave a very striking example of this. (coughs) And in it, he sets an extremely high bar. So I want to read this. This It's an aspect, it's an aspect of right speech, which I really call right listening, of how we can listen. And you'll see what I mean about it being a high bar. Because there are five courses of speech that others may use when they address you. Their speech may be timely or untimely, true or untrue, gentle or harsh, connected with good or connected with harm, spoken with a mind of loving kindness or with a mind of inner hate. Here in bhikkhus, you should train yourself thus our minds will remain unaffected. We shall utter no unskillful words. We shall abide compassionate for their welfare with a mind of loving kindness. And starting with that person, pervade all the world with a mind imbued with loving kindness, abundant, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility, without ill will. Okay, so just picture the scene. You're speaking with somebody, somebody's speaking with you, and they're lying to you, speaking harshly, with thoughts of ill will and hatred, and the Buddha is saying, abide compassionate for their welfare with a mind of loving kindness. Not an easy task in the face of that kind of energy. But I love that teaching, because even though we may have a way to go until we actualize it, it reminds us that even in those extreme circumstances of people behaving very badly with us, the Buddha is saying this is possible. You know, that we really can remain unaffected. And in a way, it it is the practice of mindfulness externally, right? where we're mindful of the other person's speech, and we see it for what it is, but we are non-reactive. And not only non-reactive, the Buddha is saying, respond with a mind of metta, with a mind of compassion, and then extending it to all. So, this is a practice to take back to the world. You know, it's, it's a powerful reminder. So this 
insight and understanding into the nature of metta also has tremendous implications for our practice of vipassana, of satipatthana. Is it possible for us to treat every arising experience as an old friend? That's really the practice of mindfulness. Can we treat whatever experience arises within us as an old friend? It's like being with the limitless beings that arise in our own minds with an attitude of loving-kindness. There was uh, a very well-known Cambodian monk, Gosananda, who died some years ago, but he was, he radiated metta, loving-kindness, and he, he did fantastic work. Uh, you know, he led peace marches in uh, Cambodia after the horrible time there, and he did a lot. He came here one time, he was, he was uh, joined us on one retreat, and he had a wonderful way of doing metta. I really loved it. <laughs> he would go through the body and he said, may my head be happy. <laughs> may my shoulders be happy. <laughs> he just went through, it's kind of a different take on the anatomical parts. <laughs> It was, it was so, it was just so wonderful, you know, just, can we treat all of our inner experience, you know, in that field, in that field of goodwill, in that field of acceptance. There's a great purity and really a very quiet happiness in moments of genuine metta, whether it's directed outwards towards other beings and embracing all or directed inwards towards our own inner experience. Because these moments of metta, of goodwill, of benevolence, are not mixed with anything harmful. They're not mixed with anything unwholesome. It's simply the wish for all, including ourselves, to be at peace. So these moments of metta, these moments of goodwill, it's really like a moment of pure gold. There's nothing, there's nothing impure in this mind state, in this heart state. So I'd like to read to you from the Metta Sutta, just some lines, because it conveys, I and mean, these are the Buddha's, the Buddha's words about this state, and it really expresses what it is that we're cultivating. In gladness and in safety, <coughs> may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, 
So with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, <coughs> radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downward to the depths, outward and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. See, these are both powerful and very simple words. This, this is a quality to cultivate in ourselves. This quality of metta has the power to open us. It makes our minds and our hearts smooth and soft and pliable. And because of this, as it's cultivated, <coughs> we begin to have many less judgments, reactive judgments and comments that we so typically have about others. And perhaps more importantly, we have less of these self-critical judgments about ourselves. I mean, through metta we become more patient and more caring <coughs> with difficulties and disturbances. And Thich Nhat Hanh, you know, that really <coughs> remarkable Vietnamese uh, Zen master and teacher of mindfulness, he gives an example of this, of how we can relate to anger and ill will when it arises, how we can actually relate to the anger with metta. So he says, the Buddhist attitude is to take care of anger. We don't suppress it, we don't run away from it. We just breathe and hold our anger in our arms with utmost tenderness. The anger is no longer alone. It is with our mindfulness. If you keep breathing, mindfulness particles will infiltrate the anger. If you keep shining your compassion and understanding on it, your anger will soon crack and you will be able to look into its depths and see its roots. You know, and so it's, it's a skillful use of metta in opening to anger, in opening to ill will in this gentle way so we can begin to break it apart and to actually see you know, the roots of it. As we practice this and cultivate it, <coughs> we are not so often caught up in the pattern of our likes and dislikes. And this gives more space for discerning wisdom. When we're not so reactive, then we see more clearly what is skillful and what is unskillful. We then make wiser choices in our lives which in turn leads to more happiness, to more joy, and to more metta, which leads to more clarity, to wiser choices, to more happiness, joy, and metta. And so it's just a spiral upwards in our lives. As this feeling becomes stronger and steadier 
when it really becomes the inclination of our minds, when we've established those neural pathways of benevolence, we feel much more tolerant of ourselves and much more tolerant of other people. Gradually we begin to live in this gravitational field of goodwill and good humor. You know, we hold ourselves and others with a much lighter heart. The poet W. H. Auden kind of captured this flavor. In one line of his poetry he said, love your crooked neighbor with all your crooked heart. (laughs) And it's that acknowledgement that we're all in the same boat. You know, we're all this mix of qualities. And can we hold ourselves and others lightly with, with some good humor? There's a very famous uh, black theologian, philosopher, civil rights leader, Howard Thurman. He expressed this also uh, very well. He said, humor may not be laughter. It may not even be a smile. It is a point of view, an attitude towards experience. And I love that. In some way, metta allows for this attitude towards experience. It's loving. It's lighthearted. It's caring. The beauty and the power of the Buddha's teachings are that they are not something simply to admire in other people. You know, it's so easy to talk of somebody like Deepama and just be admiring of her great loving kindness and care. But it's really about practicing it for ourselves. It's taking these people as inspirations so we actually do the work of cultivating this quality. The Dalai Lama said, if we were aware that we all contain love within us and that we could foster and develop it, we would certainly give it far more attention than we do. And so it's this recognition, yes, we have the capacity to cultivate, to strengthen, to develop this quality. And this, this becomes just a very significant part of our unfolding journey. So it's not difficult to understand and recognize the value of metta, of loving-kindness. Still, there are many times in our lives when our hearts are not open, you know, when our minds are not pliable. And so it's helpful to understand why. What's happening at those times when metta is not our natural response to other people and to the world? There is a very powerful force in the mind that comes masquerading as love, that comes masquerading as metta, but which actually obstructs it and obscures it. And it's called the near enemy of metta because it looks like it, but it's not it. It's quite different. And these are the mind states of desire and attachment and craving. And I spoke the other night 
you know, of the ways in which we conflate these two. We conflate the feeling of genuine love and caring and goodwill with attachment, with desire, with craving. And how this has enormous implications in our lives. Enormous implications for ourselves and our relationships. When we begin to see and look and investigate the difference between these two states, we can see for ourselves the consequences of each. In our close relationships, you know, <coughs> in our most intimate relationships, whatever they may be, where do fear and insecurity and possessiveness and projection come from? Do they arise, do these feelings of possessiveness and holding on and fear, do they arise from love, from loving kindness, or from attachment? You know, which of these feelings brings us happiness, brings us peace, brings us contentment? So this is something to really look at and to investigate. It's not, they're not words simply to hear and just, you know, either agree or disagree. It's actually something to look at in our lives so we can see for ourselves what leads to what. And it certainly doesn't mean that the first time we do the practice of loving kindness that all our desire and attachments are going to fall away. It's not quite like that. But the more we practice and the more we discern the difference when we recognize when metta, when this feeling of love, loving benevolence, loving goodwill is really there, we become familiar with it. It becomes more the way we are than something we do. And that's when it's really begun to be established in our lives. Some years ago I read a very interesting uh, piece by the French, famous French writer Montaigne. And he was describing the nature of this profound friendship he had. This was was a profound relationship. Uh, uh, Very, you know, the depth of what friendship means. And he described it and when I read it, I thought, yes, that's metta. So, in a truly loving relationship, which I have experienced, rather than drawing the one I love to me, I give myself to him. Not merely do I prefer to do him good than to have him do good to me. I would even prefer that he did good to himself rather than to me. It is when he does good to himself that he does most good to me. If his absence is either pleasant or useful to him, then it delights me far more than his presence. (laughs) I just found that an extraordinary description of a relationship imbued with loving-kindness. It's care for the other person. It's not self-seeking. It's not seeking self-benefit. You know, and that's, that's the beauty and that's the purity of this feeling. 
Of course, we may have to work on this a little bit, <laughs> but it points to a direction. For myself, in understanding and exploring <coughs> you know, this practice, I sometimes feel it's easier to connect in this, in this practice of loving-kindness. I feel it often easier to connect with the aspect of kindness than with the word love. Because love is a very grand word. You know, and it's been so, con- our understanding of it has been so conditioned by the movies and by advertising, by our own fantasies. You know, and so we can have so many uh, ideas of what love means. And in the light of this, many people feel, well, they often feel inadequate in some way, that, that we're not loving enough. You know, that we don't have the capacity for love based on some idea we have of what it is. Maybe we think it should be this, you know, fantastic ecstatic experience that carries us away on waves of bliss. And then of course get disappointed or discouraged when that doesn't seem to be our experience. For me, <coughs> kindness is a much more humble word. You know, it just feels more down to earth, more pragmatic, something that's very easy to connect with. Kindness is just an easeful responsiveness you know, to people and situations around us. Kindness is just that basic and natural openness. It's the openness of heart that lets the world in. So how do we strengthen this aspect of metta, this, this quality of kindness within us. There's a, uh, one of our uh, teachers I studied with in the Dzogchen tradition, Nyoshul Ken Rinpoche, who was really considered a great Dzogchen master. And he, he was very earthy, you know, just, even though he was, you know, supposed to be this great, great enlightened being. He said, I would like to pass on one little bit of advice I give to everyone. Relax. Just relax. Be nice to each other. As you go through life, simply be kind to people. Try to help them rather than hurt them. Try to get along with them rather than fall out with them. With that, I will leave you, and with all my good wishes. <laughs> this great enlightened Dzogchen master. Just relax, be kind, try to get along with people. <laughs> it's interesting that we find this so difficult. <laughs> so it's just, it's just paying attention in our lives to when we're able to do it and when we're not doing it and why. <laughs> the, the Dalai Lama said, be kind whenever possible. It's always possible. <laughs> and so it's reminding ourselves of that, you know, because we can so easily just get caught up in our reactivity and then we're very far from this feeling of metta. 
be kind whenever possible. It's always possible. It's just remembering. The immediate cause for this feeling of goodwill and benevolence to arise is focusing on the good qualities in people, whether good qualities in others or the good qualities in ourselves. We are all a package of qualities. You know, some desirable, some not. So we need to recognize that. Unless one is a fully enlightened being, there's going to be a mix. When we don't see the good in people, when we're not looking for the good in people, or even the potential for good, and focus instead, as we often do, on their annoying, irritating qualities, it's very easy for ill will and judgments and anger, and sometimes even hatred to arise, because we're focusing on those qualities in them that call forth those emotions. But if we make it a practice to, to actually seek out and relate to what is the good in people, then the feeling of goodwill, the feeling of loving-kindness, arises quite naturally. It's hardly an effort. At first, we have to, we have to give some attention to this some change of mental habits. One of the great insights of this practice, which I hope you, know, you have really understood, not only in this two-week retreat, you know, many of you have been practicing for many years now, it's to understand that we all have an inner remote. We can change the channel of our minds, you know, and so when we notice that we're caught up in some unwholesome state, just take out the remote and change the channel. I had I had a really interesting experience of this. Uh, one of the times I went to Burma to practice, a friend of mine had been there as a monk for a few years already. And so when I got there, he was just, you know, his mind was really concentrated and still, and he was just radiating, you know, all the wonderful qualities of deep practice. And I was coming from the West and just having been really busy, so my mind was not in that space at all. And my first kind of reaction was, mm. <laughs> you know. <laughs> But pretty quickly, I saw you know, this comparing mind, you know, look, look at the space of season, look at the space I'm in. But I saw, I saw it pretty quickly, and I realized I don't have to hang out in this comparing mind. And so I started doing the mudita practice, you know, appreciating the happiness of others. And it was amazing, just within minutes, as soon as I changed the channel, Oh, may his practice grow even deeper. May he grow even happier. You know, as soon as I changed the channel, it's just my heart relaxed and I was back in the feeling of metta. We have the power to do this. But we have to be attentive enough to our own mind states 
to notice what's happening and to notice when we are caught in some state that's unskillful. As we develop the ability and the the habit of seeing the good in others, even as we recognize the complexity of the person. So it doesn't mean, you know, living in some hallmark card version of metta. No, we can we can appreciate the complexity of the person and see all their different sides, you know, the wholesome and the unwholesome. But we choose to focus on the good in them. And this establishes in us an ease of loving feeling. We become more generous. As we begin to see and appreciate the good in others, a great gift comes back to us. And that is, we start developing a quality which the Buddha called one of the most rare and precious qualities of human beings. And that is the feeling of gratitude. Gratitude for the good that people have done for us. Now we can so easily take for granted or simply forget you know, the kindnesses that many, many people have shown us in our lives. We're all here probably because of the kindness of a lot of people who are supporting us to be here. When we feel, when we're open to the gratitude for the goodness in other people and and the good they have done for us, then metta flows very easily. And I've just found in practice, in meditation, as the mind relaxes and becomes more open through mindfulness. And you've probably all experienced this. You start remembering people that you might not have thought of for years and things they've done for us. And it's really a beautiful quality. And we become much more open, much less defensive. And we begin to see metta in some way as a basic quality of awareness. So somebody once asked Stipama about this. Let's see if I can find this. Someone once asked Stipama whether she should be practicing mindfulness or loving kindness. Stipama answered, from my experience, there is no difference. For her, love and awareness were one. When you are fully loving, aren't you also mindful? And when you are fully mindful, Is this not also the essence of love? And that's been my experience to some extent, not to the extent of Deepama, but as we as we settle into the practice of mindfulness, it there is a there is a quality of loving kindness in it. You know, we're we're being with all experience as an old friend. And it's beautiful to see the practices all come together. This doesn't mean that we never get angry anymore, or that we never feel ill will or irritated. These states are going to come until we are anagamis, and then they'll be gone, non-returners. 
the Dalai Lama, who is, as we all know, I mean, he just radiates metta and compassion. He said, sometimes I do get angry, but deep in my heart, I don't hold a grudge against anyone. And I think that's a really important uh, framework. You know, because just in the course of our lives, we will get irritated, we will get annoyed, we will have anger arise at times. But deep inside, I mean, at the root, are we holding on to some grudge? Or is it just a passing emotion that can come and go and really feel connected to that space deep within us that at the bottom we really wish all people well? That's the place to connect with. As we do this, and as we connect with that deeper place of goodwill underneath kind of whatever surface emotions may arise, we open more easily to uh, the space or the field of forgiveness, not holding on so tightly to old hurts. And sometimes we can let go you know, of our grudges or hurt, sometimes just in a moment of clear seeing, I don't need to hold on to this. It's like holding on to a hot burning coal. Who's suffering? And we're able to let it go. Sometimes it may not be so quick. Sometimes there's a process involved. But that should be the direction. And as, you know, most of you know, part of metta practice can include the extending and asking for forgiveness. You know, so we could spend a little time, if I've hurt or harmed or offended anyone, in my thoughts, in my words, in my actions, I ask forgiveness. And if anyone has hurt or harmed or offended me, I freely forgive them. So we remind ourselves that this is possible, that we don't have to hold on to this kind of suffering. And we can do this even in extreme circumstances, although it may take uh, a certain uh, care with how we express the metta. I can't remember, did I talk about, uh, I forget which retreat I've talked about what in. <laughs> did I talk about teaching metta after 9-11? Okay, so I was teaching a retreat, you know, after 9-11, and we got to the point in the retreat where we were teaching metta. And, you know, in that way of teaching, we were, we were using the phrases, you know, maybe be happy, maybe free from danger. I know a lot of people from New York on the retreat, and there was just no way they were going to extend loving feelings to these people who you know, piloted the planes into the, into the Twin Towers. So it just seemed completely inappropriate to the circumstance. And it really made me reflect, well, what does metta mean in a circumstance like that? You know, is it really possible, you know, somebody who's done such devastating harm, can you really sit there and wish, may you be happy? And 
I realize that that's not the right expression in that circumstance. And I reflected, well, could we wish, may all beings be free from hatred? Who would we want to exclude from that wish? Because that's the force which drove those actions. You know, and so sometimes it's just reframing our understanding of metta, the expression of metta. Yes, may all beings be free of enmity. May all beings be free of hatred. And it's in that that we really see its boundless capacity. <coughs> There's no one, I think, that we would want to exclude <coughs> from that wish. The willingness <coughs> to train the heart, whether it's in metta or anything else, takes great patience. You know, this, is, this is a gradual process of cultivation. Buddha called, the Buddha called patience the highest devotion. You know, patience is this essential quality as we undertake a journey of this magnitude. It's not a question of a two-week retreat. It's not a question of a three-month retreat. It's not a question of years of practice. This is our life. This is our life commitment to cultivate these qualities of mindfulness, of awareness, of goodwill. And slowly we transform the way we are in the world and with ourselves. So I'd like to close with just some beautiful lines from the German poet and writer Rilke, who, who at least, the, you know, of course, I just read it in English translation, but it's really beautiful. So he wrote, once the realization is accepted that even between the closest people infinite distances exist. A marvelous living side by side can grow up for them if they succeed in loving the expanse between them, which gives them the possibility of always seeing each other as a whole and before an immense sky. And I just find that such a beautiful image. You know, it's not metta, it's not, it's not a question of kind of merging. It's a question of appreciating the expanse you know, between all of us, which gives us the ability to see each other as a whole before an immense sky. So let's sit for a few minutes. <clears throat> 